says in verse 1, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. And Father, we just humbly ask as we've been able to sing and worship you in that way that you'd help us to continue now in our worship through the study of the word of God as we give our attention to what the voice of your Holy Spirit and his ministry would say to us through the truth of the word of God. So, Lord, you know what we need and what we're asking together. We pray this expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, let me ask as I begin this morning, how important to you are things like servanthood and stewardship in your way of living? You know, as Christians, we certainly should not only be looking to Jesus as the Savior in our life from our own sin, as well as from the punishment of hell, but we also should be following Jesus as our Lord. And of course, the word Lord simply means that he rules over me, that he is in charge and directing my life. I'm not self-directed. Now, with that in mind, let me ask, therefore, as a follower of Jesus, how do you view your own life? Uh, How do you look at your own life? What do you see the purpose of your life as? What do you want others to think about you? If they were to characterize you by something, what would you want them to characterize your life by? And who are you aiming to have the approval of in the way that you live? Well, today's passage is going to answer some of those questions for us. Remember, Paul in chapter 3 was kind of talking about the marks of spiritual maturity. And one of the things that was very evident, Paul emphasized within the marks of spiritual maturity is that a spiritually mature person, just like a physically mature person, is not just someone who is a taker. Again, if we think of childhood or spiritual immaturity, right, our children don't really contribute a whole lot when they're young and they're living in our home. They're pretty much takers. They're pretty much consumers, Uh, maturity starts to bring about, okay, look, you need to contribute a little bit. Here's a chore. Or as they get older, you expect them to start to contribute. That's a mark of maturity. Well, the same thing is true spiritually. A mark of spiritual maturity is that we're not somebody who's just a, a, a pew potato consumer Christian. And all we're looking for is take care of me, bless me, serve me. And I hope the service and accommodation was good. And then I'll be back. And I hope you serve me good next week as well. That's not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. Maturity is where we start looking for ways to give out as well and to bless others and to serve others. And Paul used analogies in chapter 3 where those who are saved and following Jesus should all be to some degree workers. That is, we should all be looking to do things, to serve. We're not saved by works, but the Christian is supposed to work, the Bible teaches. So we use analogies there that like farmers working in the field, trying to be productive to see good fruit for the Lord. Or like construction workers, recognizing what our own unique task is on the job site, that we do our part to try and help build the Lord's church. 
and that we contribute our part in the building process. However, the way that we do the Lord's work is also important, and how we go about it matters. And we've talked about that, and Paul is going to continue to carry on with that concept now of how we work and the way that we work in these verses. And he gives us some insights here on Christian workers and Christian work. And let me just say as a a side note as well, if you are someone who is truly interested in the Lord's ministry or to a greater degree being in ministry, I would say pay attention to these verses because they're a great ministry conference in brief. It's almost as if Paul gives us a brief pastoral or leadership ministry conference in verses 1 through 5. Again, Paul the apostle, who himself was given authority from the Lord, as well as enablement from the Holy Spirit to do what? He functioned as an apostle. He functioned as a church planner. Paul pastored multiple churches in his lifespan. He taught the word of God. He evangelized people. And it is Paul with that usefulness to the Lord that says to us then by the leading of the Holy Spirit in verse one, look at, he says, let a man so consider us, that is people like himself, Paul, Apollos, Peter, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So notice Paul wanted them to view or consider him in a certain way. That's what he's saying here in verse one. This is how he says you ought to consider us. In other words, Paul's going to say, there's a certain way that you shouldn't consider us. We don't want you to view us in a wrong way, but there is a right way that you should have perspective towards us. Paul having a pure heart for ministry and recognizing there's a wrong way and a right way to be viewed as someone who serves the Lord. He says, look, we don't want you to view us in the wrong way. And I think Paul's heart recognized, look, we don't want you to view us, for example, as to some ways maybe the Corinthians were, as spiritual celebrities. That we're sort of the spiritual celebrities in the church, the who's who, the popular ones among the, the whole you know, church and, and the body of Christ. Remember, they, they kept saying, well, we're of Paul, we're of Apollos, we're of Cephas. It almost seems like the Corinthians were kind of falling into this a little bit of, well, we like Paul, we, you know, we, we're, we're one of his followers. We like, I mean, imagine in, in Paul's day, I can't picture Paul the Apostle having a website, paultheapostle.com. Right. But but or or having an Instagram, you know, and how many followers does do how many followers do I have? And kind of the spiritual celebrity. Sadly, I just want to I think that does tend to be something that's creeping into the church a little bit where it's almost like the church and some pastors and those among the Christian service. You know, it's almost as if like we're, we're establishing celebrities now, whether musicians or ministers in some way. And I don't know if that's really healthy or the heart of God. Paul says, look, here's how you should consider us. Not that way. Consider us this way. He says two things. Verse one, as servants and as stewards, consider us as servants and stewards. We see ourselves. And Paul says we conduct ourselves. First of all, verse one, he says, view us as servants of Christ. Now that term Paul uses there for servant in verse one in the original language was the term that was used for the under rower on a ship. If you've seen the movie Ben-Hur or movies like that, where you have those ancient ships where people are above deck, but then you see all these oars coming out of the bottom of the boat. Well, what that was is you had people who were under rowers. That is, they were below deck. There was a group of men who were in conditions, listen, that were hot and dark and stinky 
No one saw you in what you were doing. There was no celebrity status. You were just humble slaves below the main deck and you worked hard and you served the interests of everybody else who was on board. And everything you did was for the interest for the people who were on board above deck to make their lives better, to get them to where they needed to be. And you rode to the cadence of a drummer that was directed by whoever was in charge of the ship, the captain, for example. So the under rower worked at a pace that the master decided. So the master dictated how hard you rode, how fast you rode, when you got a break and when you didn't get a break. And you did what you did to accomplish the master's goal. But the under rower had to be always ready to work at any time. When the master wanted work done, the under rower had to engage in work. And the under rower, again, was just a picture of humble servanthood. It was doing work that was not noticed. Nobody saw you. It was never thanked. Nobody yelled down below, hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for getting us to our destination. Thanks for sweating and doing all you're doing. Nobody ever thanked the individuals who were under rowers. It wasn't pleasant conditions. It wasn't convenient. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't a position of ease. And again, you had to follow the direction of a master and listen to his lead. You had to make sure you paid attention. And you had to know how to work in cooperation with other people like a team. Because there were not just one rower, there were multiple under rowers and you had to work collectively in cooperation. It wasn't a one-man job, it was a team effort. Look, these are spiritual pictures, the Bible showing us, of the Lord's servant. Those who are truly servants of Christ, this is what the Bible pictures, under rowers. We serve our captain, Jesus, and whether it's Paul the apostle or pastors or any Christian, for that matter, in the service of the Lord, these are the pictures that God wants us to see of how we should view ourselves like under rowers, being servants, humble servants. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing glamorous really about being a servant. I mean, think about it. It is the exact antithesis of kind of the celebrity popularity. It's the exact opposite. You were never seen, never thanked. And it was just hard, hot, miserable, sweaty work. It was labor. And you did it because it was a duty, not because you got recognized or you gained any status or anything. It was just your proper duty. And God says, there's my heart for servants of Christ. That's what the Lord wants us to view as proper servanthood. Paul says, consider us as, as that, as under rowers. That's how we view ourselves. And secondly, he also says in verse one, that you also should simply consider us, he says, as stewards of the mysteries of God. And that word steward speaks of someone who managed or took care of what belonged to another person. That's what a steward did. A steward did not own the property. He did not own the possessions. He was entrusted with the responsibility to work with and to invest and to utilize and manage what was not yours, but was owned by another person. That's what a steward did. In ancient culture, a wealthy master would usually look for a very reliable, dependable, trustworthy servant who once they prove themselves as a servant would then become a steward a steward over all the other servants a steward over all the possessions and he would put that servant in charge of a household wealth and resources and the operations to then manage it well and to faithfully fulfill the desires of the master 
That's what the steward did. And Paul says, we've been given a spiritual stewardship. What was it over? He says, we're stewards, he says, verse one, over the mysteries of God. That term mysteries of God is basically a term that speaks of the, the message of salvation, the mystery of, of Christ being our savior that the New Testament reveals to us and all that that entails, all the blessings of being a Christian, all the spiritual experiences of salvation, all the valuable truths of scripture that teach about Christ and what Christ does for us as we live for him as savior and Lord. So he says, we've been entrusted by God with a stewardship over these things while we're on this earth. God's entrusted them to us to properly care for and operate in useful ways to utilize the valuable spiritual truths of God to put them to work for God's benefit, to make progress for God's kingdom, to help people, to dispense these truths. Yet we realize it all belongs to him. It has nothing to do with us having any ownership over any of it. We're just stewards, Paul says, and we want to manage things well because we're going to give account to God. So again, God's given us, not just Paul, all of us for that matter, an opportunity, think about it, to manage and work with his spiritual resources as his children. To manage the responsibility of serving his precious people that belong to him. And that's a serious responsibility. I mean, think about it. We've been given as stewardship with the biblical gospel for how a soul is saved eternally. God has entrusted us with that stewardship to preserve the integrity of God's message and to present it accurately. The biblical gospel, not a message that will just make somebody, you know, make some commitment or, or fill a seat in a church. No, the biblical gospel where hell and heaven hang in the balances and a person is an unworthy sinner that needs to repent of their sin and put faith in the son of God the savior of the world and to tell people what is necessary to be saved, to tell people it is necessary to be saved and to explain to them those truths of how that's experienced and that it's a free gift that must be received from Christ as we come to him to utilize that message in the fullest capacities for the Lord's purposes that we might be able to help see people come to Christ. He's entrusted us with the responsibility to share that message. We've been trusted with the responsibility of the stewardship of the word of God as a whole, that we'd preserve the integrity of the word of God, not compromise it, not use it in a way whereby we try and twist or water things down to accommodate a present age. And more than that, whatever ministry each one of us has, for Paul, it was being an apostle and a church planner and a pastor. But for all of us, the Bible says we are all able ministers of the new covenant. That's what the New Testament teaches. To some degree, we've each received a measure of grace and spiritual gifts, and we're all supposed to be serving the Lord. And in so whatever way the Lord has entrusted some degree of stewardship and ministry to you, we've been given a sacred responsibility to manage those things well, to work in a way where we're being effective and and we view it with a level of importance and take it seriously because it's a privilege from God. It's a stewardship from God. Now, with that understanding, that's why Paul in verse 2 goes on to say, in light of this, moreover, it is required, he says, in stewards that one be found faithful. So Paul emphasizes here the most important part of stewardship is being faithful with that specific responsibility, understanding what I do is for another and not for myself 
and that I'm going to be accountable to the one that I do something for as a steward, understanding that I've been given an important responsibility, that I'm being relied upon by my master, understanding it's a privilege that I've been given an opportunity to manage things well for his sake, understanding that he wants me to bring growth and development to the best of my ability and make things better and more effective for what matters for him and his purposes. It is those things that should compel the servant in stewardship to faithfully, Paul says, give their absolute best to their stewardship that they are performing. You notice verse two there. I have it circled in my Bible. It's been for many, many years. He says, verse two, moreover, it is required. Circle that word. Then circle it in your neighbor's Bible next to you if they didn't. It's required. Notice it does not say it's suggested that stewards would be faithful. It would be preferred if stewards would be faithful. It would be a little bit more helpful if stewards were faithful. Notice what it says, rather, verse 2, it says it is required. What does the word required mean? Well, it means this. It's expected. It means it's necessary. It means it is absolutely essential. And what is required, expected, necessary, and essential? He says that they be found by God to be faithful. Faithful. What does the word faithful mean? Sometimes I think we are so interested today in the church. Everybody wants to talk about faith. We need a faith movement. You need more faith. What about faithful? What about faithfulness? That matters to God as well. And here he says it's required that we be found faithful. What is faithful picture? Well, pictures being, let me give you some words, dependable, reliable, loyal, committed. Boy, that's a term that's missing in our culture today. Being responsible. It means following through with whatever task we're on, with whatever role we have, with the thing that you've been given to do, taking care of what you should and doing a quality job with it, giving your absolute best to it, staying on task, carrying things out to completion, not starting something, but finishing something. That's called faithful. You know, it's good for all of us to evaluate our heart from time to time because I almost find it somewhat encouraging that it does not say it's required or necessary to be talented. I'd be in trouble. He doesn't say it's required in stewards that they be capable, that they have experience. He doesn't even say it's required in stewards that they make sure they are trained and ready. Look, all of those things would be helpful. Would you agree? If somebody's talented, they got some experience, if they get some training, certainly that's, that's helpful to the process of stewardship. But the main requirement from God's perspective when given a stewardship is just being faithful. Just being faithful to that responsibility, reliable and dependable. And faithful in two ways, I think. Faithfulness is typically what is required to initially be entrusted with a stewardship, right? I mean, think about it. If you're going to entrust someone with something important and valuable to you, you're not going to just randomly select some person to entrust something that's important to you. I mean, who just walks up to a total stranger and says, hey, um, I got something to do tonight. Could you watch my children? I mean, that'd be ludicrous. You're going to entrust your children to someone that you feel is reliable, dependable, right? 
You're not going to trust them to anyone. Well, with any form of stewardship or anything that's valuable and important, you're not going to randomly select a person that has no proven character or liability. Instead, the exact opposite. You want to know someone has demonstrated that they're dependable, that they're reliable, that they're committed and, and trustworthy. And knowing that they'll do a good job is the insurance that you then have that you can entrust them with stewardship. Well, think about it. God is a, a good parent. God is a wise steward himself. And God puts a lot of wisdom into what's important of him. And he uses wisdom in appointing stewardship to what's precious and valuable and important to him. So what does God look for before he appoints stewardship? Faithfulness. That's what God looks for to then entrust stewardship to someone. Luke 16, Jesus said it this way. He was faithful in what is least. The idea is faithful in small things, small tasks, small responsibilities, will also be faithful in much that is entrusted with more or greater things. So Jesus said, one of the ways you can tell if someone is ready for more is they're being very faithful with what they already have. And Jesus said, because if somebody can be faithful with a simple task, a small assignment, and they can be faithful in it, then he says that same faithfulness will carry over no matter how great or how much more responsibility they ever get, because it's that faithfulness in their character that will carry on to handle greater things. Jesus said as well in Matthew 25, you were faithful over a few things. I will now make you ruler over many things. Again, the Lord looks for that characteristic of faithfulness to appoint things. Paul understood that. That's why Paul writing to Timothy is a younger pastor in 1 Timothy 1. Paul said this of his own life. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Paul says, I didn't enter into the ministry. I was put into the ministry. And the only reason I was put into the ministry is, he says, is because the Lord enabled me to be able to do it. It's not my own skills. It's the power of the Lord supernaturally that was graciously given for the thing God wanted me to do. And he says, and he counted me faithful. And so therefore he put me into the ministry. Again, Paul understood this concept. So faithfulness is what's required to be entrusted with stewardship, but faithfulness is also what's required once you and I have received a stewardship. That is, once we have been given something to do as a stewardship. And there are many different ways the Lord can entrust us with stewardship. Again, we talked about stewardship with the gospel message. Every Christian's been given that stewardship. Stewardship with some ministry task. Whether it's, you know, leading music or serving in an AV booth or doing children's ministry or working as an usher or, you know, whatever ministry we do in the local church. Those are stewardships. Stewardships. The Lord gives us a chance to share. It gives us a chance to serve and to do things. The stewardship of parenting. Well, that's crucial. It's one of the best and biggest stewardships any of us, you know, have ever received in our lives. The stewardship to be a quality parent and to really do well with raising our kids. The stewardship of being a husband or a wife, our marriage. We have a stewardship in our marriage. A stewardship with whatever you know, job. God's given you a vocation somewhere where you work. Well, that, that's, that's your missionary assignment. That's where the Lord's put you. And you have a stewardship with your place of employment and what you do, that you do it for the Lord. And in whatever he gives us to do as a stewardship, he expects me to do it faith, faithfully to take it serious and to be a good steward in what I'm doing. And I may lack, as well as you, skill. I may lack ability. 
But the one thing that everybody can supply universally is faithfulness. You may not be as talented as the other people, but you can be faithful. You can be reliable, dependable, and put forth your best effort. And quite frankly, that may trump people who got a lot of talent and are lazy. Or who have a lot of skill but aren't dependable. Or don't show up. Or don't follow through. So skill we may not all have, but faithfulness anybody can do. And that's why God says, I just look for faithfulness. Now, that being said, sadly, if we were to be very honest, often faithfulness is one of the biggest flaws in us as human beings. One of the biggest flaws among humanity is we're not always exhibiting faithfulness as human beings. We're not dependable. We make a commitment and we don't follow through. We struggle with staying committed or on task. Many times we're not giving our best. We're being half-hearted. We're thinking, oh, that's good enough. And we don't sacrifice or follow through. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says this. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Again, most will proclaim his own goodness. Hey, I'm, here's my resume. Check it out, man. Right? Think how you write a resume. You don't write a bad resume. You write a good resume. But he says, but who can find a faithful man? Someone who will be faithful. Remember, when we enter into heaven, that is going to be the criteria Jesus will use for our eternal reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the only criteria Jesus is going to use. Were you faithful? Were you faithful in what was entrusted? You know, this morning, how faithful are you being with the things the Lord has entrusted to you? Beginning with, folks, your own relationship with Jesus, your own walk with the Lord. How faithful are you being to the Lord? How committed are you being to the Lord? How faithful are you being in your devotional life and spending time with the Lord, letting God speak to you through his word, spending some time in prayer? How faithful are you to look? It's important to gather with God's people and worship. Lord, it's important to find some way to serve you. How faithful are you being to choose to walk in the spirit when you're tempted to walk in the flesh? Beginning with our relationship with the Lord, that's the best place to start being faithful because that's the biggest stewardship any of us ever receive, to walk with Jesus. And then every other area of your life, how faithful are you being as a spouse? Are you being faithful to your role as a husband, your biblical role as a husband? Now the world says a husband's supposed to be, your biblical role as a husband. How faithful are you being as a biblical wife and obeying the scripture in regards to what God says is our role as a wife? How faithful are you being as a parent to take serious the ministry opportunity you have to raise your children? You know, I tell you, I I said many, many times to my wife over the years, and, and I can't emphasize it enough. I've said to her numerous occasions, I said, look, I am completely okay if I fail at everything else I do in my life, but I can't fail with our kids. I can't. I will be ready to die, close my eyes, put me out of my misery, get me to glory. If I just do an effective job raising quality, godly children who love Jesus, and I've taught them how to walk with him, not by what I've said to them, but what I've showed them. And because of what I've poured into them, invested them. And I don't know about you, I can tell you this, though they're adults now, parenting is the most exhausting, draining ministry probably on this earth. But you know what? You be a good, faithful parent. You be a good, faithful parent. 
if you've got to be unfaithful to other things to be a good, faithful parent, you're going to hear, I assure you, well done, good and faithful servant, because that matters to the Lord. That's crucial. It's valuable. So important that we be faithful. And if you're struggling with faithfulness in any area of your life, let me give you a small encouragement. It's a spiritual issue because the Bible says the fruit of the spirit, part of it, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Lord, fill me with your spirit so that I can begin to be more faithful. As the spirit of God rules my life, he helps me to become a more faithful person. He can help us all to grow in that area. And Paul, knowing what was expected from him and who he was going to one day be accountable to, that's why he then goes on to say in these next few verses, verse 3, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you, he says, to the Corinthian church, or by any human court for that matter. In fact, he says, I don't even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. So notice verse 3 and 4, Paul, knowing who he was one day going to be accountable to for his faithfulness, shows two wrong judgments, and he shows the one judgment we should really focus on. What are the two wrong judgments? Well, the beginning of verse 3, the first wrong judgment is we should not overly focus on the judgment of others. The judgment of others. See what he says at the beginning of verse 3? He says, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Now, we know the Corinthian church had become quite critical of Paul, as well as critiquing the others and picking their favorites and criticizing their different ministry works. Others were making evaluations about Paul the apostle as well. And Paul understood that it's just part of life generally, even if you're not a Christian, People are always going to judge you, right? That's part of life, generally. People are always going to cast judgment and have opinions. And Paul realized all the more when you're walking with the Lord. And then all the more if you try and actually serve the Lord and do things for the kingdom of God. One translation renders this, As for me, it matters very little how I might be judged by you or by any human authority. See, Paul's mature mindset was, I realize people are going to judge me, but he says, honestly, it's a very small matter of importance to me what their judgment of me really is. It will happen. Paul understood that. Now, look, Paul was not arrogantly saying, or don't misinterpret what the Bible's teaching. Paul's not arrogantly saying he was above judgment. Hey, I'm an apostle. You don't have any right to judge me. Paul's not arrogantly saying that he was above being held accountable. Anybody should be held accountable. There's nobody that's above human judgment to a degree or that he shouldn't be measured by the authority of God's word if he did something wrong. Paul's going to say in his own letter here, 1 Corinthians, further on, he's going to say when someone speaks a prophecy, he's going to instruct, let others judge. That is, make sure that what they said is accurate from the word of God. So Paul's not saying I'm above judgment or accountability. He's just saying what I understand in context of serving the Lord and people making comments and criticism is people's judgments aren't always accurate. They don't always know all the details. They don't have the full picture. And sometimes Satan is at work. And he says, so I don't make a big deal over the various opinions that people formulate about me or the criticisms that may be launched towards me. Again, ultimately, Paul wasn't seeking the approval of other human beings. Who was he seeking the approval of? The Lord. And so that's why Paul says this here. Again, 
often the judgments of other people are going to be unfair. Sometimes they're off target. They don't see what's going on in your heart. They don't know the full picture. So be careful. If we give too much weight to the judgments of other people towards us, the danger is, is that if we put too much credence in other people's judgments, sometimes you can get really discouraged or you can become very distracted. You can find yourself almost wanting to give up or you can find yourself overly angered or constantly hurt because of the opinions that people make about what you're doing or what you're not doing. Now, on the other side of that, if you put too much weight on the judgment of others, sometimes if you get a lot of positive comments, you can start to think a little bit too much of yourself, which can lead to getting proud or just kind of getting lazy because other people are always complimenting and it's kind of leading you to be over-impressed. It is a definite stumbling block to be overly concerned with what other people say about you. Jesus himself said this, beware when all men speak well of you. <laughs> That's interesting. I want everybody to speak well of me. Jesus said, be careful. If everybody's speaking well of you, something's probably not right. So don't put too much credence in the judgment of others. A second wrong judgment, as Paul says here, is that we should not overly focus on judgment of our own selves. Don't overly focus on your own judgment about yourself. Look what he says going on in verse 3. He says as well there, in fact, he says, I don't even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. So another error Paul avoided was putting too much emphasis on self-evaluation. Paul says, I honestly don't over-scrutinize my own life or make too many assessments of myself. One translation says these verses, I don't even trust my own judgment on this point or matter. See, Paul realized his own evaluation of himself was not going to be 100% accurate. Why? Well, what did he just say in chapter 3? Because we all have the potential to be what? Self-deceived. Paul just said by the Holy Spirit in the prior verses, let no man deceive himself. Guess what's one of the ways we can deceive ourselves In what we think about ourselves. Now, again, in balance, there's nothing wrong with self-evaluation. It is healthy as well as important in balance to evaluate ourselves. The Bible also teaches, let a man examine himself. Nothing wrong with self-evaluation in balance, but we shouldn't over-examine ourselves, nor should we ever overly trust our own examination. You see what Paul says there in verse 4? He says, honestly, I don't know of anything right now against myself. In other words, Paul's saying, right now I'm not aware of something I'm blatantly doing wrong. I'm not conscious of anything that I'm blamable for, that I'm doing wrong, that maybe I should feel guilty about. However, he goes on to say, that doesn't justify me. That doesn't mean that I'm right just because I don't think I'm currently doing anything wrong. Important to realize, not to put too much emphasis on self-evaluation, because sometimes we may not think we're doing anything wrong from our standard. But maybe from God's perspective, I am doing something wrong. I may not think anything's wrong with the attitude that I have. But God may say, I have a problem with the attitude that you have. <laughs> I may not think that there's anything out of balance in my life, or I may think I'm doing okay, yet I can be deceived and blinded when God would fault me for something. So I have to be careful. We don't want to overly consider our own judgment. We have to always be open to the Lord revealing error to us that maybe we don't see. I would say this, 
good for us to always beware that we never begin to allow our lives to be lived in a way where we start to think that we're kind of just never off track. And we never even take into consideration that we could actually be the one that's off track. That we never start to think, you know, about the possibility of, well, I mean, everything's just kind of good enough because the truth of the matter is by God's standard, I may be not doing good enough. And I need to always keep a sensitive heart. And I always have to be careful as well of the danger of judging yourself in the other damaging way. And that is this, and some of us know this, we have to be careful we're not overly hard or too severe on ourselves in self-judgment. A lot of times, right, we can become our own worst critics and we create unrealistic expectations for our lives and then we feel condemned, we have self-pity, we find ourselves always feeling like we're failing and discouraged and the devil just heaps that on in greater and greater ways. So Paul says, look, I don't judge myself more than is necessary because I can really make myself discouraged and want to quit and give up and fail Or if I judge myself and think everything's okay with me all the time, I may miss times when I'm off track and God needs to show me something. So he says, these are wrong judgments. Well, what's the one right judgment? Well, he says at the end of verse four, he who judges me is the Lord. The person whose evaluation I should care about and seek is to know what does God think about me? That's the judgment that matters to let him determine if I'm on track to let him determine if I'm doing okay or not doing okay, and then adjust my life accordingly. To always be in constant fellowship with the Lord, like Psalm 139, search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me, and then lead me, Lord. Help me to adjust my life if there's something that you see that needs to be adjusted. That's why Paul says in light of this, verse 5, therefore judge nothing before the time, he says, until the Lord Come. So we should intentionally be careful of making judgments right now of other people as well as making judgments of ourselves. Now is not the time to be doing that. When Jesus comes, each believer will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible teaches. And it's at that point, at that time when the Lord comes, he'll evaluate how we live for the Lord and served him, and he will then reward us accordingly or deal with us directly in regards to how we live for him when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, we make it our goal to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive due to us things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Look, I need to remember the fact is this. We don't always have all the details right now on ourselves or on other people. And that's a very important thing to remember. Right now, we don't always have all the details about ourselves nor about everyone else. But there's a proper time coming when the Lord comes that he will accurately judge in righteousness. So Paul says, don't judge prematurely. He says as well in verse 5, because when Jesus comes, he will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. That is, when Jesus comes, the dark things people hid, they were actually doing. Jesus will uncover all those secret dark things. No one will ever get away with anything they were engaged in, in the darkness, hiding. People, things were hiding from other people and no one else saw it, but the Lord saw it the whole time. And he says, there's coming a time where the Lord will uncover and Jesus will shine the light on all hidden sin. And what was being done in the darkness will one day be brought into the light. And every Judas Iscariot, who nobody thought was doing anything wrong, Jesus will expose them. 
And Jesus will reveal, oh, you walked among them and you acted like them. You even served among them. But I knew the secret dark thing you were doing all along. And Jesus will deal with that one day. He also says as well here in verse five that he will reveal the counsel of hearts. That speaks of our motives and our intentions. We've talked about before why I do what I do. So right now people see what I do. Right now, people see what you do. Wow, he's a real servant. Wow, she's a really you know, faithful person. But Jesus sees the motive. Jesus sees the intention. Intentions and motives matter to God. It's not just doing the right thing. It's doing it for the right reasons. That's the tougher part, right? And Jesus is going to address our motives so that one day, he says, each one's praise will come from God. That is, in the end result... Whose praise was I trying to get? The praise of men on earth or ultimately the praise of God when I one day stand before him? Look, right now, let us remember, is not the time to be making judgments. It isn't. God help us. Right now, we should not be making judgments about ourselves too much, and we really shouldn't be making judgments about other people. It's not our business. All it is is a distraction. What I should be doing right now is just serving. Serving, not critiquing, not complaining, just serving, contributing, helping, not criticizing, not being condemned about, oh, I'm so unworthy. Just serve, 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 be faithful, be a good steward. And one day Jesus will deal with those who were doing dark and hidden things. You don't have to fix everybody else. You just serve. Jesus will deal with other people. And one day, if you've been serving and serving, and you feel like, oh, I'm being faithful, I'm serving, I'm serving, and maybe on this earth, you never get any recognition. Look, there's coming a day when you're going to step into glory, and the one who saw that you were faithful and a good steward is going to rally the entire realm of heaven to stand at their feet and give you applause because you were a faithful servant and a good steward. Let's stand.